I'm Jennifer Stevens, and welcome to Make the Connection. Today, I'm here with my dear friend and longtime business associate, mentor, whatever else I can think of adjective, (laughs) Bob Wingo. You are chairman of Sanders Wingo, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come. My pleasure. And I want you to tell me, as we get started, we're going to talk about mentorship, which I think is also really going to be a conversation about relationships in business. I want to start by asking you, how did you start Sanders Wingo? Well, actually, I didn't start it. Uh, David Sanders started it uh, in 1958. And I started working in the apparel business, and I was VP of marketing for an apparel company called BTK Industries. David was uh, the agency owner that I worked with. He did all the campaigns for BTK, and we developed a very strong relationship. And one day he said, hey, would you consider ever coming over and working on the agency side as a principal? And I said, no. I said, I'm a vice president. I have a company car. I have stock options. Why would I do that? I was young and dumb, and so I told him no. But (laughs) we we revisited the whole topic a few years later, and and I came around. And so – Tell me about your relationship with him. How did that grow from a client-vendor relationship into, obviously, a very trusting partnership? Well, I was a hard worker. You know, the funny thing is when when I look back at my my BTK industry days, there were two fellows that uh, really were key to my success. Bob Hirsch, who was executive VP of the company, and a fellow by the name of Bruce Barbro out of the New York office who was VP of sales. These guys were very tough, as was David Sanders, and I proved to them that I could bring value, and I guess I was even a little bit cocky because I didn't know any better, and I said some things. Youth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding, because when I went to work at, at Billy the Kid, I started off in customer service. And I told the HR guy, because I went in for a sales job, I said, you know what, I'm going to take this, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not making a career out of customer service. And I went, that was probably one of the dumber things I've ever done, but I got the job and I stayed in customer service about a year and I went over to the sales side. I love it. So let's talk about mentorship. Mm -hmm. You mentioned these two gentlemen having a key influence on your career at BTK. Were they mentors to you? What does that mean to you? Well, they were mentors in the sense that they gave me the guidance that I needed to prepare myself for a career. And one of the key things I think when you think of mentorship is you should never think of anything as a job. You should think of it as a career opportunity. And BTK was a a very big career opportunity for me. And they nurtured and helped. And Hirsch once said, we sat in his office, he said, I wish I could open my head and impart all the knowledge that I've gained over the last two or three decades right into your head so that you would be that far ahead of the game. He said, unfortunately, that's not the way it works. You have to get out there and learn hard knocks in other ways. And uh, ultimately, if you're successful, you you can prove yourself. Yeah. Well, a lot of the same things that I would say you taught me. I mean, you're here. I asked you to do this today because when I started JHL now almost 16 years ago, Um, you were on the board and chair of the board, I think, of my very first client. And um, 
I first met you in the interview process. We joked because you looked over the top of your glasses at me and, you know, we're very scary and intimidating. And um, but that's how we met. And that's how we formed a friendship and and a, and a mutual respect. But what what you're saying is how I feel like I began to learn from you and and others on that board. You know, Nick, Mm -hmm. uh, Massey, some of those folks were amazing mentors to me throughout that time. But um, I really feel like it took me from thinking about that project in terms of a project or a job to thinking about how I could learn and leverage those relationships to grow a career. So what you're saying resonates, I think, very much with with my experience. And then over the course of time, of course, even though that project went away as things do, um, I still find myself calling you for advice on things or wondering what Bob Wingo would say or reaching out. I appreciate that. Absolutely. I, um, I'm curious, on the other side then, so you've had people in your life who've influenced you, who've nurtured you, who've tried to open their brain. What about when someone is coming to you in that way? I mean, whether you knew it or not, you were teaching me a lot. I think you knew that and know that. Um, But I'm sure over the course of how many years now at Sanders Wingo? 30 plus. So 30 plus. Mm -hmm. There's got to be countless people who feel the same way that I do about the kind of opportunity, frankly, blessing and opportunity that it's been to be able to learn from you. Do you think of yourself as a mentor? Well, I really do for for a number of reasons. I have helped uh, a lot of young people start in business. And what I've done in the last probably six or eight years, I've kind of affiliated myself with the University of Texas at El Paso in a more direct way. And also many people just come to me. But what I've done is I started, I put together a series of notes. I called it the plan And what I do is when I look at a student or anyone and they say, I need your help, I said, if you're going to be helped by me, you have to be willing to do some things. So I have a whole letter. So they have to make a commitment. I said, because we're not talking about going out and finding a job. We're talking about career opportunities. I have individually helped over 30 graduate students and people finishing their undergraduate degrees, and every single one of them has a career. Many of them I still stay in touch with. So they say to me, well, what's the magic juice? I said, it's all about the relationships. Relationships, relationships, and relationships. With them, you can do many things. With them, you become a connector. People that can pick up the phone and open a door for you. You have to walk through that door. But on the other hand, without those relationships and those connections, you're going to go through mountains of paperwork to get to the opportunity that you're looking for. Tell me a little more about the plan. Well, the plan is a combination of me putting interview questions together to ask so the students can ask the right questions if they go to an interview. I said the first thing you need to do as part of the plan is you get a job opportunity, a career opportunity. You need to go in and research that company and the individual that you're going to talk to 
and the person that sits to the left and the right of that person, and the person that sits below that person, maybe two or three levels, and what the competition is doing. And what you want to do is you want to turn that interview into a conversation. And if you find things that are of like value and interest in terms of what they do socially, civically, do they have children, do they run, do they play golf, do they swim, are they in book clubs, do they like to travel, so that all of a sudden you're hitting a point of interest a sweet spot with a potential employer where they understand exactly where you sit. And when you walk in there, you've already gone to Hoover's and you've gone to LinkedIn and you've gone to all these different places to make sure that you have valuable content about the company if they're publicly traded, if they're not publicly traded, so that you can really gain those key insights into what makes that company tick. And you have to go in there and let them know that, hey, this is a place that I want to build my career. That's a fantastic advice. How many do you think take it? That's a lot of work as some of the – I'm using air quotes. Yeah. That's a lot but you of know work. what? A lot of, them, a lot of them did because what I do is I, I, I said I have that letter that's got all these points on it. Uh, are you willing to listen to what I have to say? Are you going to do what I say without even questioning me because you're asking me for my help? We're going to do mock interviews. I'm going to take you on mock interviews. I think the key thing is making people understand the value proposition. One of the key questions that, that come up time and time again, and I put it to them, I go, what, what are you going to do when you walk into that interview and that potential employer says, how much do you want to make? Right. And then they freeze. And I said, here's the answer, or one of them. I've done my homework. This is a place that I want to build my career. I know after doing my research, these are the values and things that I'm looking for in life. And I know that if you bring me on board, you're going to treat me fairly. So I'm going to trust that you're going to give me a fair offer. That's a fantastic answer. One of the challenges I have a lot of people, and of course, I think this is sort of just, I would say, just starting to happen with me over the course of maybe the last couple of years in a in a more regular way, um, people coming to me, you know, can I have 30 minutes? Can I have a cup of coffee? Do you have time to give me advice? Do you have time to meet and give me direction? And um, it's hard because, and you can appreciate this being a business owner like I am, Mm -hmm. you're carving time out of your day. You and I both sell the same thing, which is time and, and talent. And so when you carve time out of the day, you know, it's more than just a half hour you're giving. So at the same time, you when you give that, you definitely want it to be valuable, you know, to you from a personal fulfillment perspective. But you want it to be valuable to them from a go forth and do a whole lot with this perspective. And I wonder about how do I do that? How do I make sure they take this forward and find real value in it? I like the idea of the plan because that's a tangible piece of knowledge that they can come back to and refer to. And that's very smart. Well, I think everyone that I've talked to, I said, you know, each of you are a brand. You have your own brand DNA, just like if you were Coke or Pepsi or AT&T or whomever you might be. So you have to treat yourself as a brand. And when you start looking at who you are as a brand, and I make them create touch point maps where they put themselves in the center and they add all the assets and values around that center circle so that they can really understand these are key values that I bring to the table. Don't undersell what your capabilities are. Even if you're a young executive getting started, these are opportunities to really differentiate and separate yourself from others. The other thing I do, which is pretty old school, I go every person that you have an opportunity to get in front of, 
write a handwritten note. Write, Amen. Write the handwritten note because that's going to get past the executive assistant, the secretary, and others because you write personal in the outside of it. They're going to realize that you took the extra effort to take the time to send them a note, even if it's 10 or 20 words on a card, that's going to be a separator in terms of who you're competing against because you are competing. You're competing for an opportunity to build a career at a company that you choose to work for. So that's, to me, one of the most important things. I've had students that I've worked with who have taken the plan and have gone back and and written notes under each question that I've asked and brought it back to me. And I watched one. I actually went on an interview with, with a young lady, and she went in, and she had a whole book prepared for the interview. Wow. About the CEO of this company, about the fact that he was a runner and she was a runner, the fact that he took great interest in understanding he, what she brought to the table, where, where he had worked prior to his current position, where he had lived the last two career moves that he made. So she had a lot of history. She got the position. Of course she did. And I was I was even impressed with the work that she put into it. But again, to me, at the end of the day, it's about the relationships. It's the relationship, excuse me, the relationship I built with, with Jennifer, who oh. I'm speaking to right now, and the extended relations with the Tracy McDaniels of the world and the Jeff Mosleys of the world and the Aaron Demersons of the world that we all connected with, the Nick Serafis. Yep. Uh, these are relationships that I still hold dear to my heart and people that I still connect with, uh, not as often as I probably should, but I stay connected. Yep. No, absolutely. Well, I believe very much in the power of the handwritten note. You know, I came out of the, I, I grew up as what they called a Bush baby. I was one of the very first mm-hmm. young interns on the Bush campaign in 94 and um, at the age of three and, uh, you know, came up through that, through that time and, and Carl Rove, of course, ran mm-hmm. Bush World and and Carl hand wrote notes to everyone. And it made such an impression on me watching him from afar, you know, as an intern and realizing here's this man that's responsible for this huge campaign and, you know, all of this excitement and hoopla and legislators and press and all of these things going on every day. And yet I would watch and he would write handwritten note after handwritten note after handwritten note every day. And it was thanking people for meetings or for taking an extra step here or congratulating them on this or that. And that really stuck with me. And I've tried to do a good job of it throughout my career and my life. And I think I've done, a, I would say, a moderate job at it. But watching him, that really stuck with me. Fast forward years later, when I started JHL, um, you know, I sent a little email out. I wasn't I didn't even know if I really was going to have a business. You know, I thought, well, maybe I'll take you know the project that we worked on together, see how that goes, and maybe I'll go get a real job afterwards. But um, when I started the business, I sent an email out to former colleagues, just, hey, here's how to find me. I've kind of hung out my own shingle. I'm going to give this a try. And the very first handwritten note I received was from Carl. And he said, you know, you'll do great. And I saved that. I mean, it was very special to receive that. So I think it matters. So what's the role of digital in this process now. So now, you know, back in 1994, when I was doing that, the handwritten note, you know, that was one of your only real ways to reach somebody directly. Now you can reach somebody directly through social media or, you know, otherwise. Is there a role for that in mentorship? I I think there is a role for it. I think the key thing, though, is when we really look back, 
no matter what. It's kind of like I used to tell people, I don't care if you're the CEO of the biggest company in the world. If you get a small, meaningful gift that arrives at your desk, you're, you really appreciate that. Now, all the digital, social, all the things that you can do now, uh, all the, the key points of contact that you can create with uh, through the digital world is very important. But I'll tell you what, every senior executive has attention deficit disorder. Isn't that true? So what we better find a way is the handwritten note gives you 15 seconds of their time. And just like you said, you saved that note from Carl Rove. I've saved notes from key people over the years because it really touches you. It creates the emotional connector that hasn't, that's not there before. It's kind of like what Jack Welsh said, the former CEO of, of General Electric. He said, the first step before all, the, all other steps is to, de- to define your destiny in broad but clear terms. Define the overarching message, something big but something simple and understandable. In essence, make a clear and compelling goal for yourself. If we do those kinds of things, it sounds so easy, it's hard. Jack squeezed it down into a couple of sentences, but at the end of the day, he's saying, set out in your life and plan for where you want to go. It's kind of like if you're going to invest in the stock market. You have to have enough vision to know that if you start small and you keep adding to it, at the end of 20 years, you're going to have a considerable amount of money put away. So Jack was somebody that I looked at years ago. I mean, he's really kind of out of the spotlight now, but his his content still resonates with me because I think it really hit a nerve for me that said, okay, make people define where they want to go. I mean, on many cases, I would have a, a, a student or anyone that would sit down in my office and we're talking about careers. And I said, you have an extra 30 minutes? Sure. Why? I said, because we're walking across the street. I've set up an interview with you. And then they, of course, they get the blank stare, but (laughs) what? But they get there. I said, you're prepared. We've been working on this for 30 days. I don't take on 10, 20 people at a time. It's usually one or two because I want to spend quality time and make sure that I'm giving them the kind of value and time that they need. Now, we have internships at my, my company, and those are valuable because people learn to me a lot more in an internship than they do, in many cases, going to college. Totally. But at the end of the day, the one-on-one time I give, what I want to do is impart the knowledge I've gained over the last three or four decades, but I also want to make sure that whoever I work with that they're going to pay it forward and help somebody else. I love that. I firmly believe in um, the value of internships, both to the business owner, because you can really get a jump start on the finest of talent coming up next. And um, I think that's fantastic. At the same time, I think as a young person, you know, I think back to my own career. And, you know, my career in politics started because I took an unpaid internship on the Bush campaign, and I was willing to do anything that was asked, you know, photocopy this, garbage out that, signs this, signs that. One of my very first jobs, you'll love this, on the election night in 1994, you might remember that President Bush was not predicted to win, and Ann Richards was predicted to be reelected. And so we were at the what is now the um, Sheridan Hotel at 11th and I-35, mm-hmm. and the victory party for for then-candidate Governor Bush was uh, in their big ballroom, and they had these huge boxes backstage full of hats that said, 
Governor Bush and shirts that said Governor Bush. And my job was to sit on the boxes and not let anybody open them just in case the election didn't go his way. And um, so then, of course, I'm backstage. I have no idea what's happening. I didn't have a cell phone. I'm just sitting there, you know. And somebody came back and they were like, get off the boxes. (laughs) We won. Wow. But that internship turned into you know, a very long and and wonderful career in politics and and public affairs, and I've loved every minute of it. I think you had something to do with uh, Cornyn at one point, too. Yeah, well, well, you know, from interns sitting on the boxes Mm -hmm. to U.S. Senate. And, and, you know, I think back to your key point that you make about relationships, 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 every single bit of the opportunity, you know— I don't know about you, but one of my many beliefs is that you make your own luck. And so I would have friends tell me, oh, man, you are so lucky. And I am. I'm lucky for sure, blessed beyond measure. But I also made that luck. I didn't luck into becoming campaign manager for Cornyn. I earned being campaign manager for Cornyn by being willing to be the one that sat on the boxes and took the trash out. And I proved myself, you know, valuable and never too good to do a job. And then that earned me a spot on the next project and the next project and the next project. And so, you know, then you wake up and you're 26 years old running a U.S. Senate campaign. I know. Crazy. But, But a huge blessing. But you know what? At the end of the day, Jennifer, when you start looking at it, uh, a fellow by the name of Michael Lee Chin, I heard him speak once, and he said, danger plus crisis equals opportunity. And I went, let me kind of digest to make sure I understand where he's going with this. And I started thinking about it. And people like yourself and and to a certain extent myself, we put ourselves I don't, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say in harm's way, but we put ourselves out there because we know that we can stretch and achieve certain things that people didn't think were possible. And if we keep doing those kinds of things, good things happen. Yep. I mean, I look at all the folks that you and I have been around and the successes that they've had and the careers that they've built. And, I mean, you can, we can rattle off a hundred names of people that have done wonderful things. But at the end of the day, you think back and you go, have I done what I needed to do? Have I shared the wisdom that someone else helped me gain? Have I done things to help others begin their life's journey towards building the kind of career and financial success that they're looking for? And I think I can rest at night saying, maybe I haven't done enough, but I've, I've certainly done a lot. Oh, no question. No question. And I think about that a lot, too. I think one of the many, I would call it the intangible or unexpected things that I've enjoyed the most out of owning a business and employing people is just that. I mean, when I think back over the last 16 years of all of the predominantly young women, but young people mm-hmm. who've come through JHL and worked with me, um, you know, I've been blessed to know them and learn from them, um, but I've been blessed to teach and see them thrive. And, um, you know, I, I don't like anybody to leave, but I understand that the only person that can't leave is me. Yep. And so at some point I have to just enjoy and learn as much as I can from them while they're there and then, you know, hope that I'm teaching them as well. And for the most part, I think that I have a really good 
I would say, relationship or connection with almost everybody who's who's come through the doors. And it and and it's been that's been a huge blessing. It can be the hardest part about being a boss, you know, an employer, but but the best part about being an employer too. Being an employer is painful at times, and and it's uh, aggravating, but it's also in, enriching and rewarding. And when you start thinking back about the pain that you've gone through to get certain things accomplished. I mean, I had the good fortune of being on the board for the Martin Luther King Memorial. And when we had the groundbreaking, when Bush was up on the stage in Washington, Clinton was on the stage, and Obama was on the stage. I mean, it was uh, a pretty amazing experience. And then having dinner at the White House with uh, President Bush, 100 people celebrating the 1966 minor basketball NCAA championship and having David Latin, one of the basketball players who I assisted, take my menu and have everyone in that room sign it. And I still have the menu in my office today. And watching 10 years later, that memorial, which is now up and running and has had millions and millions of visitors. And we raised $122 million. But it's just, uh, it all ties back to Again, the relationships and the mentorships and we're in Washington, the Phil Wilsons of the world, all the folks that we interfaced with that have made a difference in our lives. And yeah. the great thing is most of us have stayed connected, which tells you something that it's not just a passing thought. It's something that's been deeply embedded in terms of friendship and how we can move things forward. Absolutely. So who do you think are maybe the biggest mentors or influencers in your life? Overall, and what do you think are the, call it, two biggest lessons you learned from them? I think the, first of all, let's answer the biggest lessons learned is never give up. Uh, Even when you think you're beaten, uh, keep going until somebody completely puts you down on the ground. I uh, I think Bob Hirsch, again, was one of the key influencers in my life in terms of making me understand what I needed to do and how I needed to get there. Certainly there were many, many others along the way. There, there are people that you can call influencers and maybe not mentors that have taught you things not to do. <laughs> I've had a lot of those too. And, right. And I don't want to follow what that guy's doing but or <laughs> that do lady. That. Don't, do, don't that. do that. But I don't know. Hirsch just had a way of kind of defining and, and putting things out there in an easily what was it, easy to understand the message and the content. And he took the time. And that's exactly what we're talking about. People that will take the time to assist, to guide, to lead, to nurture, to help you create discovery and help you stretch your ability to go to the next level. I'll tell you a funny story. Do we have a few more minutes? Yeah, we have plenty of time. My junior year in high school, I lived in El Paso, Texas. My family moved to Florida. My stepbrother and I stayed and finished our junior year, flew to Florida. I got down there. The schools were segregated. I said, I'm not staying. And my brother said, what are you talking about? You're in high school. I got a job. I worked all summer, caught a Greyhound bus back to El Paso, went to work at a discount store, worked my way through my senior year in high school, stayed with my brother, paid rent, didn't, didn't freeload, and kept working. And I got to the point where I was making 80 bucks a week. And I said, who needs college? I'm making $80 a week. (laughs) Yeah, I'm rich. And then I got drafted. And 
I promised God, I said, if I live through Vietnam, I said, I'm going to go to college. <laughs> and I did. But uh, it both. was... Both. You did both. I did both. I, 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 did, I made it back and, I, and I, I went to college and now I'm a distinguished alum from the University of Texas at El Paso. That's unbelievable. That's a great story. It's crazy. It is crazy. Two and a half days on, two and a half days on the Greyhound bus was interesting, too. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Maybe, maybe we'll save that for drinks. You got it. <laughs> but I love that. I love that story, and I think it's exhibit A of what you just said, which is never give up. Have a vision for yourself. Decide what you're going to do and go for it. Some of it maybe through prayer to get out of Vietnam, maybe some of it, you know, in a different way, but it led you to your goal. That was an interesting time. Well, I think anyone who has any real success in life, there's something, right? There's a pivotal moment in there. There's lots of forks in the road where you can choose left or choose right, but there's a pivotal moment or two in there every now and then in life. And you may realize it at the time and you may not. But it fundamentally changes the course of your path. And getting on that Greyhound bus and going back fundamentally changed the course of your path. Sure did. What a blessing now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do who, you, do you find that some of the harder times in your life and with, with hindsight and time to heal are some of your biggest times of blessing? You just don't see it at the moment? I think that's probably pretty true because I think as we kind of gather life stories and missions, uh, you don't realize if that one's going to be harder than the next one or not. It's kind of like sitting in front of an executive and and someone walks out of a room and they go, God, that person was awful. I said, you know, think about it. What's on their plate? What are they dealing with? Did they have a real tough day and you just happen to be the person that was in front of them right after all the terrible things happened that day or the things that were most mentally disturbing. So I think we have to, and I find myself in that position from time to time. Someone walks in and then you explode. Right. And then you feel bad about it. Right. And if you're a big enough person, you go back and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It wasn't you. There were incidents prior to you showing up at my office. So that was a tipping point. And unfortunately, you're the arbiter of the goodwill that came from that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, so let's talk. I mean, that's what you're talking about now is leadership. Yeah. And, you know, what do you think? What's the most important leadership lesson that you've learned? I think the most important leadership lesson for me is always treat others the way you want to be treated. Always at the end of the day say, have I treated someone irrespective of where they have what their achievement levels are in life. Uh, we talked earlier about a very, very wealthy friend of both of ours who lives in El Paso who treats people the way he wants to be treated. He hasn't changed. One iota, wealth has not changed him. I think people that get ahead of themselves because they've done well and look down on people are making a huge mistake because the Egyptians proved to us many, many thousands of years ago they can bury the gold with you. That's right. But when they find you, the gold is still going to be there. That's right. So, That's so true. We're, we're only here for a limited amount of time, so make the best of it and make sure that your legacy says that's an individual that really took the time and energy to make a difference. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and I, it's, I believe that firmly. Um, and there's a couple of perspectives on the treat others as you would want to be treated. 
that I really try to employ, which is one, I just try to think of my clients or or in any situation, how are they going to feel about this and how do I empower them to feel good about it? What can I do to make them feel good about it? And even down to the very granular level of when we do an event, you know, last night I had a dinner that I helped coordinate down in Houston. I sat down with the banquet captain and walked through our program and I explained the mission of the organization and all that. And he said, I really appreciate you taking the time to give me this background. It helps me understand why it's important to you that during this moment and that moment, it's as quiet as possible in the room. I empowered him with the information so that he could go do his best job as a banquet captain. So when you treat others the way you want to be treated, it's not just sort of in the day-to-day, which is very important, mm-hmm. but it's even in how to be successful in your career. Um, so I couldn't agree more. That, and I always say, you have to be careful of the toes you step on today because they're going to be connected to an ass you kiss tomorrow. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I like that one. You just say things a little nicer than me, <laughs> much more eloquent. That's beautiful. But it's true. Yeah. It's true. And we both know that. 100%. Thanks for taking the time to do this. This has been an honor and a pleasure. It's always good to see my dear friend, Jennifer, and uh, I will see you soon. Well, I can't tell you how much you mean to me. You meant the world to me as a baby starting out. <laughs> You mean the world to me now. Thank you. Likewise.